Hello, friends. Sleep Tight Stories, Sleep Tight Relax, and Sleep Tight Science are now available to play on Story Button, the device that makes it easy to listen to our shows and more without having to use a phone or tablet. This month, you can save $10 at storybutton.com when you use the code SLEEPTIGHT. Story Button, the home of imagination. You're listening to Sleep Tight Science. Did you know there's a weather phenomenon called frog rain, where it rains frogs or small fish? What? It happens when strong winds, like tornadoes or water spouts, pick up lightweight animals from bodies of water and deposit them over land. Imagine needing an umbrella, not for raindrops, but to avoid falling frogs. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Sleep Tight Science, a bedtime show that answers your questions about science. In this episode, we will start talking about hurricanes. Or, if you are in another part of the world, you might use the word typhoon or cyclone. We will also answer some of your questions and leave you with some amazing facts. The inspiration for our topic came from a storm we recently experienced here on our small island. It came for a visit close to the anniversary of a hurricane named Fiona, which visited us last year and caused a lot of damage to our lovely trees, sand dunes, and many people's homes. Luckily, the storm was much milder this time. But since so many of you have written to us with questions about the weather, we thought this might be a great topic to learn more about. What is a hurricane? A hurricane is an intense, spiraling storm that can measure up to 500 miles, 800 kilometers, across and produce torrential rain and inland flooding caused by a storm surge. Hurricanes are often called the greatest storms on Earth and may contain winds up to 190 miles per hour or 300 kilometers per hour. They can last for days or weeks and have a long destructive history of sinking ships and devastating coastal areas. While they might have different names, cyclones, typhoons, and hurricanes are all essentially the same type of storm. They are just called other words depending on where they occur. Hurricanes form in the North Atlantic Ocean, the Central and Eastern North Pacific Ocean, and the South Pacific Ocean. If you are listening in North America, this is the term you'll most likely hear. 
over in the Northwest Pacific Ocean, which is to the west of the Dateline, they're called typhoons. If you're in Asia, especially Japan, Taiwan, or the Philippines, you might hear about a typhoon heading your way. Now, if you're in the South Pacific or the Indian Ocean, you're in cyclone territory. They can be either tropical or subtropical, but they're all cyclones down there. Hurricanes begin as tropical disturbances in warm ocean waters with surface temperatures of at least 80 degrees Fahrenheit, or 26.5 degrees Celsius. These disturbances suck up the warm, moist air, causing it to rise and condense, releasing heat in the process. This heat makes the surrounding air rise, creating a cycle. This cycle is the continuous process of warm, moist air rising and then cooling down. The eye is at the center of the hurricane, a calm, clear area, typically 20 to 40 miles or 32 to 64 kilometers wide. Surrounding the eye is the eye wall, where the storm's most violent winds and intense rainfall occur. Spiral rain bands extend out from the eye wall, producing heavy bursts of rain and wind. For a storm to be classified as a hurricane, it must have sustained winds of at least 74 miles per hour, or 119 kilometers per hour. The strength of a hurricane is categorized on the Saffir-Simpson scale, which ranges from Category 1, least severe, to Category 5, most severe. A hurricane's life cycle consists of formation, intensification, peak intensity, and eventual decay as it moves over cooler waters or onto land, where it loses its heat source and moisture supply. We will talk about a hurricane's life cycle in more detail in a bit. But first, let's learn more about the anatomy of a hurricane. Did you know that in the eye of a hurricane, the weather is calm and clear? It's like being in the center of a stormy donut, where the middle part is a serene oasis. Some birds have even been known to take refuge inside the eye of a storm, lying in that calm center until the hurricane passes. The Anatomy of a Hurricane A hurricane is an intricate and powerful atmospheric system composed of distinct layers, each contributing to its overall behavior and intensity. We will learn about the eye, the eye wall, and rain bands. First, at the very core of the hurricane is the eye. 
This central area spans 20 to 40 miles, or 32 to 64 kilometers in diameter, and is notably calm and often cloud-free. Contrary to what one might expect in the midst of such a powerful storm, the eye provides a brief respite from the storm's fury. This is largely due to the descending air in this region, which counteracts the otherwise upward motion of air within the storm. Surrounding the eye is the eye wall. This is arguably the most violent part of the hurricane. It consists of a dense ring of towering thunderstorms, where the highest wind speeds and most torrential rains are found. In the eye wall, warm, moist air from the ocean's surface is drawn upward rapidly, where it then cools and condenses. This process releases heat, which warms the surrounding air, causing it to rise as well, further fueling and intensifying the storm. The eye wall of a hurricane is not only where you find the storm's strongest winds and heaviest rain, but it can also have makeovers. Sometimes a new eye wall will form outside the original one in a process called an eye wall replacement cycle. When this happens, the storm might weaken temporarily. Still, the hurricane can become even larger when the new eye wall takes over. Radiating outward from the eye wall are the rain bands. These bands of convective clouds spiral outwards in a pattern reminiscent of the arms of a galaxy. Within these rain bands are periods of heavy rainfall interspersed with lighter rain or even clear conditions. They can span hundreds of miles and often contain gusty winds. Additionally, rain bands, particularly those in the Northern Hemisphere's front right quadrant of a storm, can be breeding grounds for tornadoes. So a hurricane is a complex atmospheric system with three main components. The eye is the calm, clear center. Surrounding the eye is the eye wall, the storm's most intense region with the highest winds and heaviest rains, fueled by the rapid upward movement of warm, moist air. Extending outwards are the rain bands, which are bands of clouds that can produce heavy rain, gusty winds, and occasionally tornadoes. Did you know that the longest lasting hurricane on record was Hurricane John in 1994? It lasted 31 days, traveling across the eastern and western Pacific basins. The Life Cycle of a Hurricane Let's break down the life cycle of a hurricane in a way that's easy to understand. The first step towards a hurricane we can call formation. Imagine a pot of water on a stove. As your parents heat it, 
the water starts to evaporate and create steam. Similarly, when the sun heats up the ocean, the warm water begins to evaporate, forming clouds. If the conditions are just right, these clouds can start to organize and spin, creating a tropical disturbance. Think of it like a baby storm that might grow up to become a big hurricane. The next step is intensification, or the growing up phase. As our baby storm moves over warmer waters and the winds around it play nice, it grows and spins faster. The storm sucks up more and more warm water from the ocean, which helps it grow stronger and bigger. This is like when you eat healthy foods and exercise and you grow bigger and stronger. As the storm grows, it can become a tropical depression, then a tropical storm. And if it gets super strong, it's called a hurricane. Step three is called peak intensity, or the teenage storm years. Just like how teenagers are often taller and stronger than when they were kids, hurricanes reach a point where they are at their strongest. This is when they have the fastest winds and can cause the most damage. It's like the hurricane's teenage phase, where it's showing off its full power. The last stage is eventual decay. The storm is getting old and tired. Hurricanes can't stay strong forever. When they move over cooler waters or over land, they no longer have the warm ocean water to feed on. It's like trying to run a long race without any water breaks. You'd get tired pretty quickly, right? The same thing happens to the hurricane. It starts to lose its energy and slowly weakens until it's just a regular storm or even just a gentle breeze. The life cycle of a hurricane is a lot like a journey. It starts off as a group of clouds over warm ocean water, gathering energy and spinning like a top. As it soaks up more warmth and moisture, it grows bigger and stronger, reaching its most powerful stage, where it can cause a lot of damage. But just as all things come to an end, the hurricane eventually slows down when it hits cooler waters or land. And like a toy top running out of spin, it weakens and fades away. Now for some listeners' questions. Devin from Christchurch, New Zealand asks, what concrete is made of and why it is so good to build with? Concrete buildings generally fare better in hurricanes than lighter constructions because concrete is dense, strong material. When properly reinforced with steel, 
it can withstand the intense forces exerted by hurricane winds. Concrete is a versatile and durable construction material that has been used for thousands of years. It's like the superhero of building stuff. It's made from a mix of cement, water, and tiny rocks or sand. When these things come together, they form a squishy mixture, but it hardens and becomes super strong after a while. So, let's break down these components a bit more. The first part is cement, which is the primary binder in concrete. When water is added to cement, it starts a chemical reaction called hydration, which makes the cement harden and bind together the other components. Water activates the cement so that it can bind the aggregates. The amount and quality of water are crucial for the concrete's strength and workability. The aggregates are typically sand and gravel or crushed stone. They make up the bulk of the concrete's volume and provide strength to the hardened material. Lastly, there are additives and admixtures. These are chemicals added to the mix to change specific properties of the concrete, like its flow, setting time, or resistance to freezing and thawing. They are used in small amounts, but can significantly impact the concrete's final properties. Now, what makes concrete so good to build with? First, it's super sturdy. Second, it lasts long and isn't easily damaged by rain, wind, or even fire. Plus, you can shape it into almost anything when it's still wet, from roads and bridges to basketball courts. Also, buildings made of concrete are like wearing a fireproof suit. They resist fires way better than wooden buildings. And the best part? It doesn't need a lot of repairs or checkups, like a toy that doesn't break easily. But just like everything else, it's not perfect. Making concrete can harm the environment because of the ingredients used to make cement. And if not made just right, it can sometimes crack. Thank you for your question, Devin. Noah Lee, who is five, and Brother Asher, who is three, want to know, how do birds fly? The secret to birds' aerial abilities lies in a combination of their body design and some cool principles of science. First is their wings. The unique shape of a bird's wing creates lift. As they flap, air moves quicker over the top of the wing than below, resulting in an upward push. Then there are the feathers. The big ones on the edge, known as flight feathers, help in pushing against the air, while the smaller ones streamline the airflow and keep the bird warm. But muscles play a big part too. Birds have super strong chest muscles, 
especially their pectoral muscles, that provide the power to flap and take off. But that's not all. Birds breathe differently than us, thanks to a special air sac system. This gives them a non-stop supply of oxygen, which is handy for high-flying action. Also, if you have ever wondered how birds are light enough to float in the air so gracefully, part of the answer is in their bones. They're hollow, which makes them light yet sturdy. And let's not forget the tail feathers, acting like a boat's rudder, helping birds steer, turn, and even slow down in the air. So every time you see a bird soaring, diving, or fluttering in the sky, remember it's using a mix of clever body design and science to glide through the air so effortlessly. Thank you for your question, Noah and Asher. Next, we have a question from Ella June Lippert, who is six and from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Ella asks, how do penguins waddle? Penguins have a distinct body structure, short legs and bulky bodies. Their legs are set far back on their bodies, meaning their weight leans forward when they stand. This forward-leaning stance is the starting point of the waddle. When a penguin takes a step, it starts by lifting its body using one foot while pushing off with the other, causing it to tilt to one side. Then it swings its other foot forward in a wide arc. To move the next foot, the penguin shifts its weight and tilts to the other side, creating the side-to-side -side waddling motion we associate with them. This might seem inefficient, but researchers have found that waddling actually helps penguins conserve energy. The side-to-side -side movement allows them to store energy between steps, which they use for the next step. It's like a pendulum on a clock swinging side-to-side. -side. Besides, penguins are more built for swimming than for walking. In the water, their body design, strong flippers, and streamlined shape make them excellent and efficient swimmers. On land, the waddle is their unique and cute way of getting from point A to point B. Thank you for your question, Ella. Did you know penguins propose to each other with a pebble? That's right. When a male penguin wants to woo a female, he searches the entire beach to find the perfect pebble. Once he finds one he deems worthy, he presents it to his chosen female. If she accepts, they place the pebble in their nest and the two become lifelong partners. Amazing facts.
Some Atlantic hurricanes actually begin as dust storms in the Sahara Desert. The dust can travel across the ocean and influence the formation of hurricanes. Typhoons and hurricanes can travel up to 20 miles per hour, or 32 kilometers per hour, across the ocean. But their winds can blow much faster, sometimes even exceeding 150 miles per hour. Typhoon Tip, which occurred in 1979, is the largest tropical cyclone ever recorded with a diameter of about 1,380 miles, or 2,220 kilometers. Massive cyclone-like storms aren't exclusive to Earth. The gas giant Jupiter has the Great Red Spot, a massive storm larger than Earth, which has been raging for at least 400 years. These storms can lift huge volumes of ocean water into the atmosphere. A medium-sized hurricane can draw over 6 trillion gallons of water vapor daily. Did you know that penguins often slide on their bellies over the ice? A movement called tobogganing. They use their flippers and feet to push themselves along. And it's not just fun. It also helps them move faster and saves energy. It's like they have their own built-in sleds. In this episode, we learned about hurricanes, cyclones, and typhoons. A hurricane is an intense storm with heavy rains and high winds. We looked at why they have different names, and it depends on where they are formed. We looked at the anatomy or makeup of a hurricane and the three main components, which are the eye, the eye wall, and rain bands. We also looked at the life cycle of a hurricane, the formation, the intensification, peak intensity, and eventual decay. We had listener questions about what concrete is made of and why it is so good to build with a question about how birds fly, and one about how penguins waddle. This episode was made with questions from Devon from Christchurch, New Zealand, Noah Lee and Brother Asher from Melbourne, Australia, and Ella June Lippert from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Thank you to Hannah Fu from San Francisco, who was five years old. Anna Gray from Cape Town, South Africa, who was seven years old. Emmy, who was five. Sasha from London, England, who was six years old. Cole. Katie from Scotland, who was six. Silas Shaw, who is nine. Bobby from Maryland, who was five. Rehan from Daly City, California, who was four. Tallow, who was six and Nova Lee, who lives here on Prince Edward Island. We hope to have your questions on an upcoming episode. We love getting your feedback on our show. If you have any feedback, please send it our way. And if you want to make sure you get all the episodes, please ask your parents to subscribe. 
You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever your parents listen to podcasts. And please, if you love learning about science with us, leave us a review. It may help others find our show. If you'd like to send us your questions, please send them to hello at sleeptightscience.com. Sleep tight.